sermon text for this, for this evening and our gospel text comes from Matthew 16. It reads like this. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be loosed, uh, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This is God's word. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, I ask that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying, that you would do the work of revealing Jesus to us. He is who we need. We need you to come in power now through the preaching of your word, because it is that word that creates faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> Thank you so much for uh, being here tonight again. In case you have not met me before, I am, uh, I'm Eric. I'm the pastor here at Epiphany. Uh, so, let's get into tonight's sermon. Uh, right now, we as a culture are obsessed absolutely obsessed with identity. Whether it be racial identity or ethnic identity or sexual identity or gender identity or economic identity or vocational identity or political identity or familial identity. I mean, the list could go on and on. I could spend the rest of the time talking about the various ways that we are concerned with answering the question, who am I? We are just obsessed with it. Elisa Wilkinson, a critic uh, for Vox, it's a, a website called Vox, uh, and formerly a critic from, uh, uh, for the magazine Christianity Today, uh, talked a little bit about our modern chase for identity, and she said it this way. She said, we usually talk about this pursuit as a process of finding our authentic selves, the real selves that we were born into. So we take tests to determine our authentic personality type, uh, our vocational strengths, and even spiritual gifts tests. Disney movies and Pixar movies and Pinterest boards are full of claims that tell us we should never allow anyone to tell us who to be. We have to be true to ourselves. That is the 21st century motto least in the Western world. Be true to thyself above all things. Thus Facebook now has 51, I think, 51 different options for one to choose from just to define their gender. That is, we are so obsessed with identity that it's, we've gotten to that point. Uh, and yet, as significant as this search for our true, for true identity is, and it is, it's significant, it matters, it does, um, <clears throat> there's a couple problems with it. Uh, number one, 
we just change far too much in our lives uh, throughout the course of our life to actually ever be sure that we really are being true to our true self. Our true self is going to be different throughout life, ourselves. It's not static. But secondly, and more important, what our text addresses tonight is that ultimately the identity we need to be most concerned with, according to Scripture, the identity we need to be most concerned with is not actually our own, but it's the identity of Jesus. On that identity, our ultimate identity is shaped, according to Scripture. As a matter of fact, our eternal identity, our eternal destiny is shaped by who we say Jesus is. According to Scripture, the answer to that question is the single most important answer to define who we are. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about his identity, and specifically we'll talk about uh, the significance of Jesus' identity. And then we'll talk about the revelation of his identity, and lastly, the power of his identity. So the significance, the revelation, and the power of his identity. Okay, so first of all, the significance of Jesus' identity. Uh, it is possible to view all sorts of ways, in, view Jesus all sorts of ways in our world. We just, uh, we have to acknowledge that up front. And the world always has. The world always has. Notice what the disciples say in our text uh, when they're asked who people say that I am. He says, well, some say you're a prophet, maybe Elijah, maybe Jeremiah. And what's clear from that, from those people saying these things about Jesus, is that they clearly recognize there's something different about him, something supernatural about him. That's clear. That's true. But that's not ultimately his identity. It goes deeper than that. And yet this tendency to sort of make Jesus into an identity that we might want him to be or might think he fits into is something that we have done all throughout human history. It continues on to this day. Everybody loves having Jesus on their side. Everybody loves having Jesus as sort of their poster boy. A while back I put together a slideshow of various images you could find of Jesus on the internet. Uh, and as you can probably imagine, there are quite a few, quite a few various images. And in this slideshow, I just took a very small collection of what I found. Uh, first, I found the What Would Jesus Drive uh, image. He was driving a Prius. Uh, I found the what? I, said, I found the Kung Fu Jesus. That is a real thing where Jesus is doing Kung Fu action, kicks the bad guys up here. Found the communist Jesus. There is the, the Jesus that's meant to look sort of like the Che Guevara shirts, but it's Jesus. I found the capitalist Jesus. He was holding a stack of money. Uh, there, is, there is also the uh, NRA Jesus, where he's holding a rifle. The buff Jesus, where he carries his cross, and the cross looks like a couple of toothpicks compared to him because he's so buffed. There's the buddy Jesus from the movie Dogma. If you've ever seen that, they take down Jesus from the cross and instead he's got the thumbs up and a wink at you. 
And the point in all of this is that we are wanting to make Jesus in our own image. And so even, even if you don't believe in, uh, in the Jesus that is presented in Scripture, you probably have a view of him. And generally speaking, people's view of him goes something like this if they're not Christians. And it's basically that he was either a good teacher or a political revolutionary or maybe, maybe a prophet. So that's just, a, just sort of a sampling of the kind of answers one may receive to the question of who Jesus is. And frankly, according to Scripture, none of these options is good enough. No. In fact, the whole Bible comes down to whether you say that he actually is what Peter says. The Christ, the Son of the living God. When Peter says Christ, he means the promised Savior of the world. When, when Peter says, son of the living God, he's saying, Lord. He's saying, you're, you're Lord. You are of God. So in other words, the confession, the significance of the confession is to say that Jesus is Lord and Savior of this world. Not merely a good teacher. In a really classic passage from uh, C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, he points out basically three options that one has with the person of Jesus. You could, uh, call, you could say that he's a liar, uh, you could say that he's a lunatic, or you could say that he's Lord. Those are basically the three options that he presents to you. Liar, lunatic, and Lord. And this is what he says in the passage. He says, you know, I'm really trying to prevent people from saying that Jesus is a great moral teacher, but they don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the kinds of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg or the very devil with hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He hasn't left that open to us. Lewis' argument basically says, if the Bible's account of Jesus is trustworthy, and we have all sorts of evidence to believe that it is from how early the Gospels were written to the vast number of eyewitnesses of his ministry that corroborate the accounts. Lewis says, then the most reasonable thing to believe is that Jesus is who he said he is. However, just because it's reasonable to see Jesus as Lord and Savior doesn't mean that it is by our reasonable deduction that will come to submit to him as Lord and Savior. For that, we're going to move on to the next point, and that is the revelation of his identity. Listen to our text. Look back at it with me. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Simon was Peter's uh, real name, his first name. Jesus renamed him to Peter later. Barjona just means son of Jonah. It says, Blessed are you, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, the only way you come to see Jesus as the Lord and Savior of this world is by God's revelation to you. Listen to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. It says this, No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. 
Now, that does not mean that it's impossible for just anybody to utter the words, Jesus is Lord. It's totally possible. Anybody can do it, whether they believe in Jesus or not. What Paul is saying here is that it's impossible for someone to say Jesus is Lord and mean it, apart from the Holy Spirit working. And why is that? Well, because the Bible says that naturally we're dead to the things of God. That we're completely numb to the things of God. That we're blind to Him. That we don't see Him. As a matter of fact, John 3.19 says that Jesus comes into the world as the light. And we love the darkness more than the light and chose darkness over Him because our works were evil. So, in other words, we can't figure out, we can't submit to Jesus as Lord and Savior apart from the work of God's Spirit in our hearts and minds. He has to... Reveal Jesus to us as our true Lord and Savior. I've seen evidence of this myself as a pastor for 10 years. I mean, I, I've talked to quite a few skeptics. The first year and a half that we moved, uh, after we had moved here into the city, you know, I talked to mostly skeptics on a daily basis, mostly people that were not attending church. Uh, and we would get into conversations about Jesus. And, uh, and many times I would, you know, deal with some of their objections to the Christian faith, whether it be the validity of the Bible or uh, questions about whether a man could really raise from the dead. I mean, you name it, there was all sorts of issues that people would bring up. And I would share various reasons for why this wasn't so far-fetched. And sometimes people would say, well, you know, I never thought about it like that, and that really makes sense. And I'd say, so do you think that it's possibly true? And they say, yeah, I think actually it could be true. I mean, there was a few times where people, I've had those experiences where people would say, yeah, I think you've convinced me that it's true. And so my first response is like, all right, great, let's pray. You're, are you ready to become a Christian? And I've heard more than a few times, no. And the reason why is because we're not purely rational beings. I know, I know, we like to believe we are. We like to believe that like we're just, we make decisions based on reason. Reason tends to play a very small part in a lot of our decisions. What needs to happen for us to want to do something is our hearts have to desire it. And the only way our hearts begin to desire something is if they're changed from the inside. And God is the one who does that. Listen, I... There's a Jewish scholar, uh, I don't believe he's still alive, but I know back in the 70s, his name was Pincus Lapid. Pincus Lapid, Orthodox Jew, believed, believed 100% that Jesus physically rose from the dead. Presented in conferences about this, that Jesus physically rose from the dead. He never became a Christian, even though he believed that Jesus rose from the dead. Here's my point. It's possible... It's possible for someone to believe even the right facts about Jesus and not yet submit to him as Lord and Savior. So how does it happen? What happens when a person does really submit to him as Lord and Savior? Your first thought is you're prone to thinking about your works. No, I'm not going there. Here's what happens. When Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, that very important word, your, is the biggest part. It's, it's possible to say, yes, Jesus is Lord and Savior. But is he your Savior? Martin Luther said the two most important words of the gospel of Jesus Christ are for you. 
or for me. Did Jesus live for you? Did you need him to live for you? Did you need him to die for you? Did you need him to rise again for you to give you resurrection? Then you are submitted to him as Lord and Savior. That's what it means. Do you need him? Not just stating facts. But do you need him? That's what happens when Jesus has been revealed to you. You say, I can't do it my, on my own. I need him. I need him. Not only can I not do it on my own, I can't do it at all. I need him to do the whole thing. Like this isn't, a, this isn't like a, a, you know, coming along. God isn't my co-pilot, all right? It's, that's just not true. That's a terrible bumper sticker. I hope all of them are thrown away forever. It's not true. God is the sole pilot, and I'm like, I'm like laying dead in the back. Like he's flying that plane. And that is great news. Because it's not always, ultimately it's not up to me. So for those who have come to accept the revelation of Jesus' identity, they've come to, they've, they, they see the significance of it. And it's revealed to them that if they need Jesus, they need him. Well, then there's incredible power that comes with it. There's incredible power that comes with that identity. Listen to Jesus go on. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. On the rock of the confession that Jesus is Lord and Savior, you and when I say you, I'm like, I'm literally talking about you. Yes, I'm looking at you, staring at your face. And I'm declaring to you, you have been freed from the gates of hell. You are not bound to that anymore through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what this is saying. That is what this is saying to you. That's what Jesus is saying to you. You're his church. And he's saying, you don't have that. You're not bound to that anymore. You're a child of the king. You're a son of heaven. You're a daughter of heaven. That's amazing. But it goes even further. Notice he says, notice he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. I don't know why, at least for me, whenever I hear that term gates of hell, I tend to think of it for, as like, I don't think of gates. I don't think of stat, like solid things that are just standing. But I should because the picture he's giving to us is that we are storming the gates of hell now in his name. So not only have we been released from hell, saved from hell, freed from hell, but now in his power and his authority, we're storming the gates and they will not stand. What does that mean? It means now... God gives authority to you, his church, after he's freed you, to now declare to others that are in captivity, that are in bondage to all sorts of problems in this world, you now get to declare to them that because of Jesus, they are going to be free as well. That's what he goes on to say. He says, whatever you bind. Look, it's, it's incredible authority that he gives to his church. He says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What does it mean? Well, to bind something on earth is not really, you're not, it's not as if you're tying someone down to keep them bound. 
what it is, is you're just acknowledging that if somebody says they reject Jesus as Lord and Savior for them, you're acknowledging it. You're saying, okay, they are still bound. But to loosen somebody is to say, well, if they accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, they are loosened. They are free. They are forgiven. He will give you. He has given you keys of the kingdom of heaven. If you're a Christian, you have them. You can go around just unlocking doors. Just go around unlocking gates for people. Free. 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 Go. Free. That's what Jesus does. He said, that's, that's, that's what he does. He, he sets captives free. It doesn't mean everybody's going to take it. Most of the time they won't. Most of the time they won't. But you still have, the, you still have those keys. Now I realize uh, there may be some sitting here today unsure of Jesus. Unsure of his identity. Unsure of whether you even need the freedom that he gives. Maybe you don't see yourself as needy for that. Uh, to you, I, I want to close with a parable uh, from Donald Miller's book, Blue Like Jazz, of how Jesus is even drawing you now. To those who might be on the outside sort of not sure, I want you to hear how Jesus draws. The writer Miller was at a folk concert one night, and the guy uh, playing the show uh, said that he had a friend who was a Navy SEAL, and apparently his crew had been involved in, a, in some sort of covert operation to free American hostages uh, from someplace where they had been for, for quite a few months. And they were being held in this house, and it was very dark, and it was very dirty. It was obviously pretty awful. And so the SEALs uh, fly secretly in by helicopter to this location, and they arrive at the home. And when they walked in, you know, guns drawn, you know, ready, ready for anything they, they're going to face. There was no bad guys. There were just the hostages. And the hostages were all balled up in corners with their eyes covered. Well, seals barge in and they say, yeah, yeah, we're, we're from America. Come follow us, follow us, follow us. And the hostages don't move. They keep your face covered. They, they don't move. They keep their face covered the whole time. And the seals keep on saying, come on, we're Americans. Follow us. Come home. Follow us. And they, and they, they just, the hostages will not move. Finally, one of the SEALs gets an idea. He puts down his gun, takes off his helmet, and curls up real closely, right next to one of the hostages. Getting so close that he can touch some of the hostages' bodies. He softened the look on his face, and he put his arms around. And he looked into their eyes and he said, I'm an American. I'm here to rescue you. None of the prison guards would have ever done that. Nothing would have been done like that. Will you follow me? And one by one, 
hostages started to get up and follow the seals to freedom. And so Jesus comes near to us, embracing us even though we do not deserve to be embraced, and whispers to us, bound in our sin and captive to the ruler of this world, I'm here to rescue you. Trust that I am your Christ. I am your Lord. And follow me to a dangerously safe freedom. We pray with you. Father, help us to follow you to a life of freedom. Whether we've been Christians for 50 years or whether we're still sitting here not sure what to make of Jesus, God, I pray that you would draw us all to the same place, to see our need for you, to see our need for Jesus, to see you as our Lord and our Savior, not just the Lord and the Savior. Father, work in us again so that we uh, those of us who are Christians, so that we might bring freedom to those around us with boldness and clarity. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, before we continue on with our service and go into uh, communion, going to the table together to close our service, I want to just give you a few announcements and then uh, take our offering for this evening. Uh, if you'll turn to the back page of your bulletin, on the very back, you can see some of what's going on. There is a lot coming up in the near